Welcome to Fire of Genius, a podcast dedicated to all things intellectual property presented by the Indiana University Maurer School of Law's IP Theory Journal. My name is Chris McMillan and I'm a second year law student at Maurer. And my name is Richa Patel and I am also a second year law student at Maurer. And on today's episode, we're excited to be joined by Katie zeller Rowland and Whitney Levendusky from the U.S. Copyright Office. Um, Katie or Whitney, would you like to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your role at the Copyright Office? Sure, I'll go first. Um, so I am Katie Zeller-Roland. I am Associate Register of Copyrights and Director of Public Information and Education. At the Copyright Office, I am one of the four principal advisors to the Register, who is the head of the Copyright Office. And I also head up the, the Department of Information and Education which has a wide number of mandates and things that we do. So we do a lot of educational programming and outreach. We also do a lot of work with the public where we respond to public inquiries. We have almost 200,000 a year that we get that we respond to on all manner of copyright issues. Everything from, can I trademark my, you know, can I trademark my book? Can I copyright my name? All the way to please help me figure out which application I should be using to register my work. So it's a very wide variety of things that we deal with in our department, which we lovingly call PI. Um, and working with me is Whitney Levandusky, who is a excellent and very valued member of the team. And I'll, I'll turn it over to Whitney if you want to say a few words about what you do. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Katie. Um, so uh, as Katie mentioned, my name is Whitney Levandusky. Um, I'm an attorney advisor in public information and education. And essentially what the attorney advisor does is they support all the awesome work uh, that the division does. Um, so that's everything from legal clearance. Uh, today, I, I helped clear some tweets from the US Copyright Office account. Um, I also helped to draft some uh, regulations that we would like to propose. Um, and I answered, helped support answering some public inquiries. Um, so the role of an attorney advisor is always um, an exciting one because um, it's a wide variety of tasks and a wide portfolio of copyright expertise. Um, so it's a fun job and I'm really glad I get to work in Pi. Thank you so much for both of you to be here today. Um, let's get started on a few questions. So specifically today, we wanna to talk about the Copyright Alternative in Small Claims Enforcement Act, which is otherwise known as the CASE Act. Some of our listeners may not be super aware of what the CASE Act is, or they might only know a little bit about it. Would you be able to tell us a little bit in your own words what the CASE Act is, what it does, um, and just kind of give us a background on it? Sure, I'd be happy to do so. Um, so the background on this is that the only way to bring a lawsuit regarding copyright infringement matters is to file a lawsuit in federal court. So until the CASE Act was passed, that was really the only option you had for a legal resolution created by the government. So what the CASE Act does is that it provided an alternative tribunal, which is called the Copyright Claims Board. So it, is an, it will be an alternative to, to federal court. It is a voluntary forum and it will allow people who are in copyright disputes that involve relatively small economic damages, which are known as small copyright claims, to get a legal resolution for their claims. It's a forum in which people agree to seek a legal resolution short of going to federal court. So it's, it's a voluntary forum, so you don't have to bring your claim there. It is something that if you would prefer to pursue the, we're going to call it the CCB, the Copyright Claims Board, um, instead of federal court, you can go there first. You don't have to though. You can always still go to federal court if that is what you prefer. 
if you are on the receiving end of a notice that there's a proceeding against you in the CCB, you can opt out and see what happens. You would you still have the possibility that the person who brought the proceeding would bring claim against you in federal court, but it is a voluntary situation. It is housed in the copyright office itself. So we are busily implementing the CCB right now and coming up with a place for it to be and all of the IT issues and the staff, but it will be in the copyright office itself. And it will hear, be able to hear a number of different kinds of disputes. So copyright infringement disputes, um, declarations for non-infringement, um, issues under section 512F, which, it, which involve misrepresentations and notice and takedown um, filings. And it will also be able to hear claims for all types of works. So anything from music to photographs to audiovisual works and anything else in between. The, there are no limits on the types of works that can be brought in a, in a dispute before the Copyright Claims Board. So one of the things to note is that it is, it's kind of colloquial called the Small Copyright Claims um, Board and people refer to it a lot as the Small Copyright Claims. That's because as I mentioned, it's for relatively small economic value disputes. And in the CCB, there is a limit on the amount of money that you could be seeking or damages or the dispute at issue. So in the CCB, the limit is $30,000. So any one proceeding can only be seeking $30,000 or less. That is per proceeding, not per work. You can bring multiple um, cases, multiple instances of infringement within a single proceeding but you have to realize that the cap is 30,000 no matter how many you bring and it does not expand depending on the number of works that are brought in there. In addition to that kind of overall limit, there are additional limits if you are trying to find um, statutory damages. So in copyright law, we allow for both actual damages and statutory damages and the statutory damage limits and the CCB are much lower than those in federal court. So you in federal court, if you have timely registered your work, you can get up to $150,000 per work infringed for willfully infringed works. And the CCB, it is up to 15,000 for timely registered work. So a lower amount there. And if you, you have to have timely registered your works to get that particular benefit. There is a interesting part of the CCB in that even if you haven't timely registered your work under normal circumstances, you can still see statutory damages, but for a lower amount. So that's $7,500 for work. And if you have these kind of untimely filed registrations, then the limit count goes from $30,000 to a total of $15,000 for the whole proceeding. Um, in addition to monetary damages, the CCB can give you relief on ceasing activity. They aren't providing injunctions, but they will provide determinations based on the consent of all the parties that um, a specific kind of activity ceases. And the decisions that the CCB makes, they are not presidential. So that means that they only govern the, the issue in front of them. It won't impact other cases, either in the CCB or in the federal court system. It is really limited in that manner. And if you disagree with the CCB, you can, there are a couple of different avenues you can take. So you can request reconsideration or review within the Copyright Office itself. And you can also file um, an appeal, kind, a kind of an appeal, a, a level of review with the federal district courts. I will note that if you do want to go to federal district court, it's a different level of review than a normal appeal. So you would be limited to 
um, things like if the CCB had exceeded its authority, if there was wrongdoing or fraud, that kind of thing. So it's not a full de novo review in federal district court. So that is the the CCB in a very the big CCB in a very small nutshell. And you know, it is a very interesting tribunal that we're going to have here. That's going to be hearing these things, and it is hopefully going to provide people an opportunity to get resolution to their issues that they could not really do before because they could not either afford or they didn't have the time to go to federal court, which is, can be very resource heavy and complicated, especially for people to navigate if they don't have a lawyer. So the purpose behind this, which I think I, we can talk about a little bit more, is really to provide an alternative to that kind of costly and complicated federal court system that typically is the way you have to go. Great, thank you for that overview. Um, so you kind of mentioned at the end about the motivating factors for the enactment of this um, legislation. So was that the only reason? Were there potentially other reasons? Um, particularly they, the court, the um, CCB can hear uh, claims written coming from DMCA takedowns. Um, we've seen a rise in those recently. Is, was that a consideration as well? Were you looking at the caseload in the federal docket? Can you speak sure. So the reason for the, the CASE Act and the impetus behind it really was the accessibility of the federal court system. So this was an issue that came up actually probably for the first time in the, what do they call them, the aughts these days in the 2000s, when the Copyright Office was looking into an issue called Orphan Works. For those of you who are not familiar with Orphan Works, those are works that are protected by copyright, but you either do not know who the copyright owner is, you can't find them, it's something where, that is why they're called orphans. And so the Copyright Office studied that extensively and, have, and has some recommendations on that. But during that process, Congress was thinking about small claims for that. So we had been asked whether or not a small claims tribunal or solution should be made just for Orphan Works. Our previous register, Mary Beth Peters, actually testified on the matter and said, no, it really wasn't something that should be made just for small claims, but it was something, for orphan works, I'm sorry, but it is something that might make sense for other things. So after the orphan works report came out and after some of the discussions happened, it was the small claims idea came up again. And it was really at the behest of people who were having a very hard time accessing the court system. So you know, the court system, it is the federal court system especially, can be rather difficult for people to navigate. And so some people felt that they weren't unable to, you know, either have access to it due to the money it takes or the, the time it takes or the complexity. And there were a lot of issues with people being able to find representation, especially for these smaller claims. So when you think of a smaller claim, you know, if it's under in the CASE Act, right, it's $30,000 or less, you know, that is not something, when you compare that to the cost of litigation, it is rather small. And so it is something that it would be hard to find a lawyer for. And we actually, and we, the Copyright Office did a study on small claims, and in there we found that um, there were some comments about the limitations of what lawyers would be willing to take on um, based on the amount of the claim. There are statutory damages, as I mentioned earlier, but they're not guaranteed and they're not, they're usually not going to be as high as the, the higher um, limit. So really the impetus of it was, how do we get these people 
access to the system? And on the flip side, how do we help people who are accused of infringement to have access to the system? So if you are somebody who has used a copyright protected work and somebody sends you a cease and desist letter and you believe it is fair use or there is some other reason why it is lawful for you to be using it, right? You know, the, going to federal court is a very, very costly endeavor. And so this, having this option to have another way to adjudicate those, those situations is helpful for those people as well. As far as the notice and takedown um, section and the issues there, you know, the notice and takedown system wasn't, wasn't the impetus for the CASE Act, but there are some parts of the CASE Act that, that can overlap with that Section 512, so Section 512 being the notice and takedown. So in Section 512, there's a provision, Section 512F, which deals with misrepresentations and filing notice and takedown and counter notices. So those are things that you could bring in federal court as well, but having them be brought in a more streamlined, accessible tribunal is something that is useful for people who are concerned about what is in those 512 um, notice and takedowns. And so that was another issue, but it wasn't really the impetus. It's more of an issue that kind of got looped into it. I will say that the Copyright Office issued a report on Section 512 back almost a year ago now, back last May. And in there, it discussed how you know, there are some issues with timeliness and determining some of these notice and takedown issues and actually suggested that the small claims um, system might be helpful for timing. And so that could help with those issues. Thank you. Um, just to build off of that just a little bit, do you see that uh, this will maybe potentially reduce the workload for the federal courts as this is like an alternative path? Or is it going to be more that it's just simply just more accessible so there are just going to be more um, cases being brought to the CCB? That is a really interesting question. Um, so when you look at the statistics for the the judiciary. I, we looked at it back when we did the um, the report back in 2013, but I looked it up, up today again to make sure my, my information is current. And currently, copyright matters take up around 1.25% of the federal caseload. So in 2020, the Federal Judicial Center issued a report saying that was the percentage of pending um, and filed claims within the federal the federal system. So it's not a huge percentage, obviously, of the federal court caseload. And because of that, it's really not going to assist with the federal judicial caseload. But, you know, one of the questions is why is that number so low? Why are there, you know, why is it this 1.25% versus a higher percentage? Now, on the one hand, you've got many other federal cases out there. Um, you know, many cases involving employment, tax, various things that are under federal jurisdiction. So you wouldn't think that copyright would be the number one anyway, but there also could be the issue of people not having the resources to be able to have gone to federal court. So it is a question of, you know, those, these are matters that may not have been brought there in the first place, but there's giving more um, of an opportunity for people to bring them in this kind of alternative place. So as far as the federal judicial caseload, I would say it probably won't, it won't reduce their burden, um, but it will provide more access to people who want a legal resolution um, to their matters. And 
Whitney, I don't know if you have anything you'd want to add to that. Um, no, I think touching on the statistic of, you know, the ratio of copyright claims to the larger federal system um, shows that there is perhaps a gap um, in terms of access and being able to ameliorate um, in both infringement and uh, fair use claims and other legal defenses that are often, you know, something that we consider to be only resolved through a court system, but yet we know um, as people um, who live online um, and who live in pop culture, that these are issues that come up for people every day. Um, so the, the Copyright Small Claims Court is um, hopefully really geared towards the uh, individuals who are looking to resolve um, their disputes uh, voluntarily um, and have not been able to find an, a, a good avenue for resolution up until this point. Great, so switching gears a bit, um, we'd like to talk a bit about the logistics of the CCD. So the Act mentions that the CCD will have a three-member panel. Um, how are those individuals going to be selected? Um, who will they be? Um, like, will they be former judges, people from the Copyright Office, or something else? So you're right. So um, the CCD will have three officers. And we do not know who they will be yet, but um, they can be basically anyone who is a lawyer with a certain number of years of experience. Who, have, who has experience with copyright, like dealing with copyright disputes. So of the three, um, two of them have to have substantial experience with representing different sides in copyright infringement disputes. So both representing the side with the person who is, who is the copyright owner, who is claiming infringement, as well as um, representing the people who are accused of infringement. And the reason for that is to make sure that there is a balanced approach on the on the board. So that is actually a requirement that is baked into the law itself. The third um, board member also has to have experience with the copyright, but also has to have experience with alternative dispute resolution. And that's because this is an alternative dispute resolution tribunal, right? So it's good to have somebody there who has experience with how to make those things move efficiently. So those are the three positions. And as far as who can apply, anybody can apply. Actually, the posting is up now. I'm not sure when this goes live, but if it goes live before April 7th, people will still have the opportunity to apply. Um, April 7th right now is the, the deadline for applying to be a, an officer, but it's open. It's on our website. If you're interested, we'd love to you know, get all the qualified candidates that we can to look for because it is something that requires somebody who has a deep knowledge of copyright and interest in this kind of work. Our next question is again on the logistics. The act also mentions that there's a requirement that all the claims being brought will need to be reviewed by a copyright attorney. Who will those attorneys be? Will it be someone from within the office? Will it be a new position that the uh, office brings in, general counsel, or potentially somewhere else? You know, obviously the three board members can't do everything themselves so they will have a support staff and so there will be attorneys that will help them with their work um a, you know a, a administrative support as well perhaps paralegal and the way that is going to work is that is those people will be employed in the copyright claims board so the copyright claims board will be part of the, the copyright office but the board itself will have its own kind of mini structure in there right so we'll have the three officers and the the lawyers and the administrative support as well, only within there. So it would not be a lawyer from another part of the office kind of part-time 
working for the CCB, it would really be a dedicated position for people to work for the CCB itself. And I'll just add um, that the uh, hiring for these the staff attorney positions are coming up later after, I believe after the CCB members are chosen. Um, so if you have anyone in your audience who is interested in those types of positions, um, there's our Newsnet service, um, which we, where we announce all of our um, uh, main activities. And then there's also the USA Jobs is the other place where those attorney positions would be posted. So you talked briefly about um, roughly when this is going to get started, but can you tell us a bit about what the timeline looks like for getting the CCB up and running? What's when's the soonest we could start the CCB could start hearing cases? So we are working hard right now to implement the act and to get everything up and running. Congress requires the CCB to be able to hear cases by December twenty seventh, twenty twenty one. Um, pretty close, unless um, there could be a short extension of time for good cause. If the Register of Copyrights with the head of the Copyright Office finds that there is good to cause to make an extension. So, you know, it relatively soon, it's actually a lot of, there are a lot of different moving parts to create a whole tribunal. And so we are working very hard on that right now and making sure that it is available. But those are the congressionally mandated timelines for it to happen. The act mentioned that the decisions made by the CCB will not be binding. Is that something that was decided due to like some sort of compromise potentially when having the bill passed or was that maybe something that was already uh, planned from the get-go? So yes, they are not binding on anyone but the individuals um, in the dispute. So they have no precedential value, um, but obviously the people who are in the proceeding itself have agreed to be bound. So it's binding on them. But the reason for that actually came from the, the study that we did back in the 2011 to 2013. So it was not something new that was raised for to get the bill passed. It was more something that was brought up as, you know, what is a good way to make this tribunal work? Back when we were studying the different types of options for dealing with these claims, there were all sorts of ideas percolating out there. One of the ideas was to change the copyright law so that you could bring a copyright infringement lawsuit in state, in state small claim courts. And we did not eventually go with that because of a number of reasons, but mostly because of the diversity of rules and um, limits and types of cases you can have in, vari in the various thousands of small claims courts around the country, um, as well as um, not having copyright expertise there. Oh, I think I'm going to be, I've been upgraded by the host, so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a note. So I guess you can hopefully cut my little note out there, but um, I just got a big thing and it was like, you're about to end. No, you're not. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is something that was that was put in there so that you would make sure that you had a smooth process, right? So that it would be, these are fast moving cases. They are, they're going to be limited motion practice. It's going to be something that is streamlined. And so while you want to do that, you also don't want to put too much um, precedential value on those. So it's not precedential 
either within the CCB itself, so the CCB is not bound by its own decisions, and it's not binding upon the federal courts. It is also an interesting situation because, you know, the law that's applied may vary depending on the parties, right? So, you know, if you are dealing with somebody who, a dispute that would be governed by Ninth Circuit law, you wouldn't want that to be precedential on something that had been governed by Second Circuit law, if there happened to be um, a, a difference between them. Right, so for our last question, um, could you both give us your opinion on the act? What do you think it does well? Uh, what do you think maybe it could do better? Uh, what are your hopes for the act? So my, you know, I am happy that um, there will be a, an alternative to federal court for people who are involved in these disputes. Um, in a previous life, I, I was in private practice and I would help um, people on pro bono basis here and there. Um, in addition to my normal day-to-day -day work. And, you know, there are people out there who have legitimate concerns both ways, both as copyright owners and copyright users. And to have them have the ability to go to a place like the CCB to iron out these differences, to try to get a legal resolution that's binding is really hopefully going to help people in that situation be able to, to get through those so that they don't feel like there is no, there's no access for them. So hopefully this will help those people in those positions out. So I'm happy it's passing, it passed, and I'm happy that it's going to, you know, come to fruition. Um, as far as it being in the Copyright Office, I think that is a, an appropriate place for it to be. So I think that was a good idea. And, you know, I, we time will tell how many people use it and whatnot, but I, I think it is a good, a good step forward um, for people in the copyright space, which is basically everybody these days. Hi, and I will just exit, uh, excuse me, I will just um, highlight one of Katie's words, which is hopeful. Um, you know, working with the public for so long, um, I've encountered in so many different ways, uh, people's um, frustrations, again, on, on both sides, uh, people who are using a work and who, who don't understand what's happened people who own a copyright work and are seeing it used in ways that they just cannot resolve. Um, I'm hopeful that this provides a, a useful forum for people to resolve their disputes. Um, and I, you know, we're early in, in implementation. Um, you know, we're still uh, looking at getting the first uh, administrative step, the first regulatory structural step um, out to the public. And I'm really excited to see what the public feedback is and what the comments are and how um, the office will build a, a body that is, um, a, you know, as Katie said, streamlined, um, accessible, and um, a positive force uh, for people within the copyright community. Thank you so much. We are also definitely excited to see where this goes and how uh, things will be changing in the next, hopefully, few months. We'll see um, as it, the CCB rolls out. But that is all the time we have today. But thank you so much for joining us. For our listeners, we really hope that you enjoyed hearing about the CASE Act and learned something new. And thank you to Katie and Whitney for joining us. And one last thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Thanks. Can I actually make one last plug before we go? Absolutely. Which is that the Copyright Office has a web page, web page 
devoted to the small copyright claims issues. So if you want to keep up to date, please take a look at it. We have an implementation tracker. We have the jobs posted there. We have a multitude of FAQs. So if you want more information, please feel free to take a take a look at the site. And as Whitney mentioned earlier, we have a Newsnet service. And if you want to sign up for that, you'll get all the information about when we do issue um, re uh, regulations, rulemaking proceedings, job postings, that kind of thing.